Well, good morning to you all. It's good to be with you. And Pastor Andrew, thanks for your introduction on the sermon series. That way, my sermon doesn't have to be 45 minutes long today. But um, I think it's good that as we enter into the beginning, that we pause and pray. So let's pause and pray to the Lord. Lord God, thank you that in the beginning you were, that you are creator of our lives and author and architect of our lives. And as we dive into this scripture, may we feel more connected to you as our creator. And if there are things that increase questions in our minds, um, would you draw us to those places where we can find those answers, but also rest in the mysteriousness of you as our creator, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are beginning with the beginning, right away in Genesis. And in order to understand this great book of the Bible, the entire scripture, we have to begin at the very beginning, which is with creation. Now, when we read the creation story and also learn about creation in other various ways in our world, um, we can sometimes feel like we are on a five-lane highway and we are pummeled with different theories and ideas about how God created the world. And it can be, can make you unsure of what's, how did God create the world? How is the world created and made? And um, you may watch a documentary about creation here and it pulls you into this highway or take a science class and find yourself in this highway or reading a book and then going on this lane of the highway and let me just say whatever lane you may go down all of those are going to lead to more rabbit trails of questions and theories and i'm not saying that you can't explore those different things but it's not our goal for today Today, when we dive into scripture, I'm going to be honest, there may be things that we just don't know, and no amount of science or theories are going to answer all of our questions about creation, and that's because God is God and we are not. Um, he is mysterious, he is incredible, and he does things beyond our imagination, and so what we need to do is we need to look back at what the scripture says and how it is confirmed in other parts of the Bible, and then wrestle with the mystery in ways that, honor, that honors God and glorifies him as our creator. So my hope is that you will walk away today with a better understanding of how and why God created the world, but also a deeper sense of awe and wonder for this amazing creator that we have. And how we're going to do that is by walking through the days of creation and I hope you will learn a lot and find yourself challenged in new and exciting ways. So, whenever we um, read any book in the Bible, any passage, any, any little piece of scripture, it's important for us to know three things. And it is one, the author, two, the time period that it was written, and three, the audience that it was originally written for. And so with Genesis, the author is believed to be Moses. Possibly other people contributed to that as well. It was written in approximately 1445 BC, which is about 1400 years before Jesus. And the audience, um, it began with the people of Israel, God's people, likely the Hebrew slaves when they were wandering in the wilderness. 
So this is helpful to know because Moses is wanting to communicate to the Hebrew people, God's people, about how great our God is and how our God is the one true God that is different than all of the other false gods that they would encounter or bow down to or create idols for. And this is actually a big theme throughout the entire Old Testament of writers wanting to communicate that our God is the one true God, better and greater than any other false God that you may encounter in this world. And I believe that's still true today. So, now knowing all of that, I want to begin by going through the days of creation. So, on day one, um, we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, it was void, dark, full of water, and the Spirit of God was present, moving over the surface. Um, God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. He separated light from darkness, and then he gave names to those parts of creation, day and night. Uh, and then God separated the waters from the sky above and the seas below. So first I want to point out that it says, in the beginning, God created. And that means that our God is eternal. He's infinite. He's outside of our time. He is not created, but he is the creator. And then the earth. The earth did not have form it was dark, it was empty, and there was water. And this often describes chaos. Um, if you've ever been in a room full of kids running around screaming at the top of their lungs, you know what chaos is. There's just no order. And it was also dark. Now, I've seen videos of people who have been on cruise ships at night, and it's all lit up on the cruise ship, but then you look out at the ocean and it's just completely pitch black. Now, I've never been on a cruise, I don't really care to go on a cruise because that kind of scares me, being in the pitch dark waters. But that's how I imagine the, the earth probably looked at that time. Completely black, completely dark, full of water. But then God wants to bring order to chaos. And he does this by first bringing light into the world. And notice here that it doesn't say that God created the sun yet. He didn't create a source for that light. It's him sending forth his light into the world. And this is why when Jesus comes, um, he is referred to the light of the world. Because it's using this creation language to speak to the fact that Jesus is coming as the light of God to bring order into the sinful chaos of the world. So in the beginning, God took chaos and made order by bringing his light, illuminating his light into this earth. And in, Re in Revelation, it says that in the new creation, there won't even be a need for the sun or for the moon and the stars because Jesus will be our light. Our God is bringing his brilliance of his light into creation. And then also, the Trinity is present. Um, we talk a lot about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And those three are all make up, they make up our God, our infinite God who is creator. And so God, the Father, who is also the creator, is present. Jesus Christ, who is referred to as the Word, is being spoken and present at creation. And then the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. So all are present at work in creating the world. And one thing as we go through the creation story is you'll see that God does a lot of creating and separating. And so 
one thing, there's a few different words that I want to point out to you, is the word bara. Um, it's a Hebrew word that is used for describing when God creates something out of nothing. And this is something that only God can do. He is the only one who can create something out of nothing. And then throughout the creation story, we see that there are times when God allows creation to participate in creating. And that word is called asa. Um, and it means creating out of something that already exists. And so God can do that. Earth can do this. And then people can do this. Um, you'll see this when we get to the part where the earth brings forth vegetation and fruit. And then God also, there are days when he doesn't create, but he separates. And the separating, that word is badal, and that is differentiating and distinguishing between different parts of creation. Um, he's setting them apart, putting them in their place, giving them their purpose. And he, God is very clear when he does this throughout creation. And then part of creation is also that God establishes order. So think about day one. This is the first official day of earth. <laughs> it says that there was evening and there was morning the first day. And so for the Hebrew, pe Hebrew people who are reading this, they would understand this to mean that literal, for us, it's the 24-hour period. For them, they would read it as evening to morning the next day. And so... To them, they're reading it as God created day one in one day. And he gives names to these separated times of light as day and darkness as night. Let's move on to day three and four, okay? On day three and four, God creates dry ground and separates it from the water. He gives names to the land and the seas. Again, our God gives names to order um, in creation. God allows the land to produce vegetation. There's that word, asa. He establishes kinds, and God creates day and night, sun, moon, and stars. And then with that, it, he's establishing days and years. So God creates the ground, he separates, and then he commands the land, the dry earth, to produce vegetation. And so here, he's allowing the earth to asa, to bring forth creation. And notice that God just doesn't leave it on its own, though. He created it for a purpose, and it's produced according to its kind. This means that God, that God is continuing to separate and distinguish. He has seed-bearing plants according to their kinds and trees with fruits with seeds in them according to their kinds. And they're all made to produce from their own kind, which means apple trees make apples, orange trees make oranges, Strawberry bushes make strawberries, and strawberry bushes aren't going to make apples or oranges, and so on and so forth. And this is how God is creating order and purpose in the world, by differentiating and dis distinguishing and separating. We'll see this more as we keep reading. Um, and then our God distinguishes further days and nights by placing the sun in the day, the moon and the stars to be the light at night. All right, on day five and six, part one. God created and filled the sea with living creatures. God filled the air with birds. He created them again according to their kinds. And then he gives them the command to be fruitful and increase in number. And then God creates wild animals and livestock 
again, according to their kinds. So this according to their kinds, it's very repetitive. It keeps coming up because it's important. They each have their own kind, and they are commanded to be with their kind to be fruitful and multiply because God wants to fill this earth with all the good things that he has created. So birds come from birds. Whales come from whales. Um, dogs come from the dogs. Donkeys come from donkeys. I mean, these are all the complementary workings of God taking two different yet great things to bring about his creation. So we see it with darkness and light, the sun, the moon, and the stars, heaven and earth, dry land and water. They all lead up to the creating of man and woman who are created with a complementary meeting where God separates and differentiates, but all things are good as he creates them. So up to this point, God has been setting the stage for bringing humanity into this world to thrive, to have food and everything they need for comfort and to survive. It's literally like he's been preparing his home, his earth, for humans, his children, to enter. So if you're a parent or a grandparent, when um, you know a new child is coming, you do everything you can to be ready for when that child comes. You buy the crib, you buy the clothes, you buy the food, uh, you do everything that you can to prepare for that child to come, and that's exactly what God has been doing. He's been preparing the earth for his children to enter. So now we get to mankind. And it says that God created mankind in his image. God created them male and female. He gives them names. He gives them instructions. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And God gives them a purpose to rule over the earth. And God gives them what they need to live and prosper. And God saw that he was made and it was very good. So before we continue to talk about this, I want to compare this to the Genesis 2 account, which goes kind of a deeper dive into what it looks like when God created humanity. So I'm going to read that for us. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Here we go. The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they, come, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. So here is what we learn from these two different Genesis accounts of creation. Okay? The first is that God is the author and architect of humanity. This means that you are not a mistake. You have worth. You have a purpose here on earth. God made you and created you and formed you because he chose you and he calls you to be part of this earth. Next is that God makes humanity in his image, in his likeness. In the beginning, we saw that the Trinity was, 
was there, was present, and the Trinity is all in relationship with one another as they are creating the world, and God makes you, stamps you in his image for a relationship with God just in that same way. And so you are stamped in God's image. You are his child. And that means that in throughout your life, your role in life may change, but your identity in God never changes. So I'm Allison, but I'm also a child of God. I'm a mother, but I'm also a child of God. I was single and got married, had children, went to school, became a pastor, and in all of that, my roles changed, but my identity as a child of God never changes. So despite whatever you are going through in life, you have a purpose. You have an identity because you are a child of God, and that is worth living because God created you. Next is that God gives humanity a purpose at, on earth as sub-rulers and co-creators. Um, just as he gave Adam and Eve dominion over the land and the animals um, and how he gives them everything they need to work and to live, God does the same for you. He gives you a purpose and has a calling for you on earth. And it's out of this obedience in living out their calling that flourishing life and abundance, an abundant life, um, takes place just as God designed it to be. And then furthermore, God distinguishes between male and female. So, gender was an important part of creation. Gender was essential for the command to multiply and increase in number. If we didn't have gender, none of us would be here. And in fact, gender was necessary for all of creation in order to carry out God's command to be fruitful and multiply. Um, did you know that plants have genders? <laughs> That's why we have cross-pollination between plants, so that they can reproduce and grow and flourish. And God's kingdom wouldn't be able to grow and flourish in any part of creation without gender. And so gender wasn't established as a rule to be followed either. That was somehow burdensome, but it's part of the grand narrative from Genesis to Revelation about being an image bearer of God and his creation and being vocationally called to bear that image as a mirror to our creator. So Adam and Eve, they liked their gender. They felt no shame for who they were, and that's how God created them to be. Whereas we live in a world that wants to create spectrums where things are not fixed or differentiated. When we look at God's word, he gives order by differentiating, and this includes gender, male and female in creation. Another part is that God um, makes us interdependent, oh, no, well, that's fine. Um, we are interdependent and equal. So Eve was created to be a helpmate because it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. And it talks about how the rib is taken from the side of Adam in order to create Eve. And actually, a better translation of that word rib is complete side. And so when you take the side of Adam, you get two halves that make a whole. And this speaks to God's vision of his kingdom being one where there is equality between the genders. And this means that we are created to be equal and interdependent. 
God's kingdom is one where there is equality between the genders, not one ruling over the other, because that's not the command that God gives. And then God goes even further and blesses them for who they are. And that blessing means God life, God's life-giving power. And so this means that you have God's life-giving power in who he created you to be, and it's through that blessing that you find flourishing and abundant life. And that's the life that we need, is God's love and his blessing for who we are. So think about this with me. In the beginning, the first government on earth was a male and a female in a God-established marriage, having children living under the authority of God with his life-giving power, his blessing, living out their roles as equal sub-rulers and co-creators so that they will experience abundant life. Does that sound like our world today? It doesn't. In fact, the world, they pressure and attack all of God's design, his divine design, and what he knows was best. This is why our world attacks gender, attacks families, attacks children, and marriage, and Christianity. God's kingdom, his order for a good and blessed life, is under attack by this world. And what we need to do is pause and look back at God's design and say, God, I love you, I need you, help me better understand this, how do I live this out, Lord, because you love me, you created me, you gave me a purpose on this earth, help me to understand your word and your truth and live it out today. So a few final thoughts for you is that this creation story reflects God's hope and his plan for a flourishing and good abundant life in his kingdom then and his kingdom now and his kingdom in the future. This story in creation, it's a representation of our story, of how we are created for God's kingdom, where we have a calling and a purpose in life, and where God longs for you to live into what he knows is best. And so what does this mean for you? If you ever question your purpose here on earth, read Genesis 1 and 2, and remember Where God's word goes, he accomplishes life, good things, very good things. And then God, remember that he took what was chaos and made order and made good life. And God calls forth and gives purpose to everything. Literally everything on earth has a purpose from the plants to the animals to us. And then The things in this world work best in God's design when we are obedient to his divine design. But unfortunately, we we know what happens after Genesis 1 and 2. It's not the end of the story. In Genesis 3, sin and brokenness and confusion and chaos and death come into the world. And we'll get more into this next week, and I'm sure further on in the series we'll help answer some of those questions. But it really brings to light how much we need Jesus in our lives how much we need a savior to help us in the midst of the chaos of the world that we sit in, that we need God. So if you have further questions, you're welcome to reach out to me or Pastor Andrew. We have small group questions out on the table out there. You're welcome to take those for yourself to just do further reflecting if you would like. And I hope that you leave today knowing that you are deeply loved and cared for by our God. So let's pray.
Lord God, we come to you and take what we know to be true about this story, and we wrestle with it, Lord. But we also say thank you for your word, this ancient text that is life-giving and true, and help us to embrace it, Lord. In areas where we may have questions or wonderings, would we pause and rest in the mystery of you as creator? Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving us this earth, for giving us a purpose and a calling here on earth, Lord. May we worship you as our creator today. In Jesus' name, amen.